Chapter 3. Consider the Lilies. Harold arrived at Avondale College in time for the commencement of the 1899 academic year on February 1. He joined 149 other students, including a number from New Zealand. The college was undergoing rapid development with College Hall nearing completion. The existing buildings were a large three-storey building for boys, a two-storey building for girls, an extensive building containing the cafeteria, kitchen and laundry, and a two-storey building for lectures. To the east of the knoll on which the building stood was an orchard of ten acres, established on land which was originally a tea tree swamp. Staff and students had done a great deal of the work clearing the land and draining the swamp. In early 1899 there were about a thousand fruit trees. Vegetables were thriving and the maize was producing remarkably. Harold worked, as did the other students, on the farm and in the orchard. The land had been considered worthless, but the food production was already vindicating the choice of the site. Mrs Ellen G. White, one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and considered by the church to have the prophetic gift, saw the land in a vision some years previously and advised its purchase. Mrs White, affectionately known as Sister White, was living close by at her residence, Sunnyside. She had been in Australia since 1891, travelling extensively throughout Australia and New Zealand. Harold's roommate was Thomas Sherwin, later to become the medical superintendent of the church's sanitarium and hospital in Warunga, Sydney. Stephen Haskell, an American, was the Bible teacher in the first two terms of the year. Arthur Daniels, another American and later General Conference President, was temporarily principal during 1899. The pace of development could be seen in the opening of College Hall in April and the establishment of the food factory and the health retreat later in 1899. Harold appreciated the blend of work, study and worship. He especially appreciated the chapel talks given by Sister White, which were so full of insight and practical wisdom. Her public prayers were unforgettable and her personal interest in students inspired them with a vision of wider service. It was just the environment to bring out the best in Harold. He determined to do his very best to become a more efficient worker in God's cause. Harold enjoyed the outdoors and growing fruit and vegetables at the college was very satisfying for him. The exercise also helped him to manage the demands of his study program. He felt that Avondale College was just the right environment for him and took delight in every opportunity for self-development. There were some financial stresses at the college early in 1899. In March, a lady in Melbourne called in a loan for £300, precipitating a crisis as funds promised from America had not arrived. These funds were to pay construction workers. Arthur Daniels was among those who blamed themselves for going ahead without the money in their possession. Daniels prayed earnestly and received the powerful impression that God was going to resolve the crisis. He met with the college committee and was authorised to travel to Sydney, Melbourne and Adelaide to secure the needed funds. Daniels arrived in Melbourne on Tuesday, April 4 and met with the lady who wanted her money by Thursday that week. He could not convince her to renew the loan for another year. Daniels went to bed that night greatly troubled. On Wednesday morning while praying, Daniels was reminded of the assurance he had received from the Lord in Kurenbong. He did something that he had never done before. He 
put his finger on the margin of his Bible and opened it. The first words he read were these, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Daniel 6.16 Daniel's wrote in the margin of his Bible, Salisbury's Room, 7.20am, the 5th of the 4th, 99. That evening at 5 o'clock he wrote, Fulfilled, 5pm, 5th of the 4th, 99. That morning, Daniels went to the publishing house to see what would happen. By noon, he was still waiting. After lunch, Daniels called Brother Salisbury, the manager, and Brother Forkhead, the treasurer, together. They went into the country to see a man who had previously offered the publishing house a loan, but found he had invested the money elsewhere. It was four o'clock when they returned. Forkhead suggested that they try to get a loan from the bank with which the publishing house did business. As the bank was now closed, they decided to see the banker at his home. Daniels and Forkhead started down the street, and as they passed the bank, they noticed that the door was open enough to allow a person to enter. The two men slipped inside and found the banker and his assistant with the contents of the vault spread out on the counters. The bank inspector from London was expected the next day and they were checking their cash holdings. Daniels recorded what happened next. Forkhead, the banker exclaimed in startled surprise. How did you get into this bank? We walked in, he replied. Yes, I know, but how did you get the door open? queried the trembling banker. I shut, bolted, locked and chained that door myself. How did you get it open? We did not touch it, it was open, was all that they could say. Pale and almost in a state of shock, the banker hurriedly relocked the door. Returning, he asked, What is it that you want? We want to see you in your private office. We want £300 to meet an obligation in the morning. What security can you give? the banker asked. Only our word tonight, they replied, but we will give you something more later. Daniels and Forkhead were convinced an angel opened the bank door. The banker was profoundly impressed and the two men left with 300 shining sovereigns. Daniels recounted the experience in the next Sabbath morning worship service. After the service, the lady who had recalled the loan asked whether the college could still use the money and offered an extra 75 pounds. This was a good omen. The financial tide was turning for the college. Other financial crises were also resolved and they turned out to be blessings in disguise as they encouraged a greater self-sufficiency in the Australian believers. Daniel's experience in Melbourne encouraged the staff and students at the college and morale was high. There was a strong sense that God was leading in the affairs of the college. Harold dined with Sister White and travelled in her Phaeton carriage, a light horse-drawn carriage with four wheels, to services in outlying villages from Kurumbong. The missionary spirit at the college was high and Sister White often spoke at open-air tent meetings, travelling as far away as Newcastle, about 35 miles to the northeast, in her carriage. She spoke at Wall's End, west of Newcastle, and in the Newcastle suburb of Hamilton. Closer to home, she spoke at open-air meetings at Dora Creek and Martinsville. Harold heard Sister White address thousands of people. He watched people held spellbound while she addressed them. At one of her meetings, as Harold stood near the entrance of the marquee, a man remarked to another as they passed out, never spoke man like that woman. 
he witnessed hundreds dropping to the penitent position after her appeals. Harold never forgot a sermon in which Sister White held up a bunch of white lilies. After drawing attention to their purity, she referred to the soil from which they had sprung, illustrating that although we had sinned and sunk to the depths of degradation, by the grace of God we could be made as white and beautiful as the lilies. When the 1899 academic year finished on October 8, Harold returned to New Zealand and took up coal portering again. In Christchurch in November, Harold took 78 orders for a health book, home handbook, to the value of 115 pounds 15 shillings. It was possible to purchase a house at that time for less than that amount, so an equivalent amount of money today would be in the order of many thousands of dollars. The following January, Harold colported in Nelson, New Zealand, taking 42 orders for home handbook to the value of 60 pounds, 12 shillings and sixpence. Harold returned to Avondale College for the 1900 academic year, commencing on February 1. Soon Norman was also enrolled. A few weeks later in March, Sister White was impressed that she should return to America. She dreaded giving up her pleasant home in Australia, but felt that she must. The climate in Australia suited her better than any other place she had lived, and initially she planned to return, but it was not to be. She never returned to Australia or New Zealand. On August 26, a farewell service was held in the Kurumbong Church, and three days later she sailed from Sydney in the SS Mona. As Sister White left Sydney, she was very much affected. She confided to her diary that she was troubled in regard to the future of the work. For nine years, her interest had been bound up in the work of the church in Australia and New Zealand, and separating from it seemed like tearing her in pieces, but she expressed confidence in those left in charge of the work at Avondale College. Sister White took with her some poignant memories one of her talks given just before Harold arrived at Avondale College was especially significant for a Jewish man from Maitland who had a Christian wife. This man thought of moving to Kurumbong with his family so that he could send his daughter to Avondale College. He was present on the last day of the Newcastle camp meeting on January 2, 1899. In the afternoon, Sister White spoke and it was reported that he was deeply impressed. He was also impressed with the evening discourse. After the meeting he went home and talked with his wife late into the evening. He said, I must acknowledge that this people have the truth. He felt deeply. During that night he died from heart disease. Sister White wrote prolifically in Australia. Her great work on the life of Christ, Desire of Ages, was written at Sunnyside and published in 1898. It was one of her greatest gifts to the world. Indirectly, Sister White left a wonderful legacy to the Australian people. The infant Seventh-day Adventist Church, with fewer than 2,000 members when Sister White left Australia, played a decisive role in the adoption of Article 116 of the Australian Constitution, which guaranteed freedom of religion in Australia. It was modelled on the Religious Liberty Amendment in the Constitution of the United States of America. A few months after Sister White left Sydney, the colonies of Australia federated. Harold, along with church members throughout Australia, felt Sister White's absence keenly. Her influence on his life was profound and would continue to be so for the remainder of his life. More than half a century later, Harold wrote, 
I have read and reread many of Sister White's books. They have deeply affected me through the years, often bringing me to my knees, yes, with tears, to aim for a purer and higher life. If I had nothing more to prove her calling, the effect of reading her books would suffice. She was all she claimed to be, a messenger for God. When the academic year finished in October, Harold returned to Nelson in New Zealand and colported again during the college vacation. The demand for workers was so great that Harold did not return to Avondale College in 1901. After remaining in Nelson until March 1901, Harold made his way to the Otago district where he worked in Christchurch and Ashburton, taking 40 orders on his first day in Ashburton. Meanwhile, Laura enrolled at Avondale College for the 1901 academic year. Harold was now 23 and ready for new challenges. Avondale College gave him a formidable blend of motivation, knowledge and practical skill that formed the basis of his life's work in Christian ministry. That ministry was destined to be in Australia, not New Zealand. <laughs> 